This is the Jerry Callahan Podcast. And how do you expect to be able to work with Republicans when so many have thus far refused to even acknowledge your victory? Here's Jerry Callahan. Happy Veterans Day. And I think, I think Donald J. Trump uh, may or not, may or may not be uh, getting a second term. We'll see. You know, it's still being litigated, but uh, he's doing exactly what he should do on Veterans Day. He's, uh, Shaking up this uh, Department of Defense, putting in some of his guys, and hopefully yanking everybody out of uh, Afghanistan before uh, before January 20th, which upsets, obviously upsets the swamp, upsets the deep state. As as Jake Tapper said, there, some people are, are upset his that he's prematurely pulling out of Afghanistan, prematurely after uh, 19 years. That is the best thing. You can do for veterans on this Veterans Day. It won't it won't make Joe Biden happier, uh, the Clintons or uh, the Deep State because they love those endless wars. But hopefully, he can end this one endless war. Also, the newest member of uh, Joe Biden's team, Ezekiel Emanuel, um, has one deep thought that seems to fly in the face of uh, Joe Biden's existence. He doesn't think anyone should live longer than 75 years. <laughs> we'll, we'll read you what Ezekiel Emanuel has to say. Uh, by the way, Joe Biden's not the only one who's uh, who's walking dead, according to Ezekiel Emanuel. Check, look around Washington. Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, Fauci, everybody's uh, too old for Ezekiel Emanuel's liking. Tommy La, Tony LaRusso got busted again. He got a job first, and then he got busted again. Maybe, maybe, and he's he's by the way, he's a little too old for Ezekiel Manuel too. But he's got the worst excuse or the worst attempt to try and talk himself out of an arrest I've ever seen. Uh, and we got some of the uh, questions, the hard hitting questions from the uh, lapdog media to their chosen one to Joe Biden yesterday. It's amazing how Biden could handle such a weather such a storm from the mainstream media will play some of those which are pretty comical and a preview of coming attractions most likely for the next four years we'll get into all that on today's callahan podcast brought to you by dcu do you love your car but hate your car payment no problem refinance your car today with dcu and they could help lower your monthly payment your interest rate or both applying is easy and their loan experts will help you find the loan term and the payment that fits into your budget Get out of that high-rate loan and get the interest rate and the payment you deserve from DCU. Learn more and apply today at dcu.org slash refinance, insured by NCUA. Membership required. All right. Colin is here. Tom Shattuck is here, host of the Burn Bell podcast and uh, um, football expert. I, I think of him as, uh, I don't know, Tommy Tommy the Irishman, who is, uh, who is I'm going to give him credit. I'm dead serious about this. He didn't really know what he was talking about, but he picked the Jets and nobody else did. I went through it on ESPN.com uh, the other day. 26 experts, all of them picked the Patriots, every single one. Only Tom Shattuck went out on a limb, picked the Jets. And, of course, they didn't win, but they sure did beat the spread and they sure did uh, surprise some people. I mean, they didn't surprise people in the end because they choked it away because they're a looter franchise. But uh, I uh, – your 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 money's in the mail, Shattuck. Your money's in the mail. I owe you ten bucks. In the house that Vinny Testaverde built, uh, Jerry, we witnessed uh, history a couple of days ago, where the big green machine reclaimed its place as the most dominant force in the AFC East. <laughs> well, <laughs> they went zero nine. 
Speaking of green, I don't think it's just football. I think Shattuck is an expert at all sports. So I think we have to right. get his masters. Uh, his master. Yeah, who do you like? Who do you like in the masters? It's a very unusual thing. A November masters. Uh, Tiger Woods. The defending fuzzy champion. Zeller, Jerry. It's, um, <laughs> yeah, I like pick. his. I like his long game this year. And uh, for, a pick. he's in. He's in. I think he's in the field. He's eligible. Oh no, he's not eligible, is he? They changed the rule. He used to be able to play for life if you won the Masters. You you win for life. That's why he got in trouble. They asked him after Tiger won, young Tiger. You know what he was gonna. The the for, the defending champ gets to pick the meal for the champions' dinner like right. this week. Right. And it's a big deal. You know what what the uh, uh, menu is. It's a big deal, Tiger. I don't know what he picked this week. He usually picks like cheeseburgers. Uh, and they asked him, let me finish explaining to who, what, why Fuzzy's controversial. Cause I don't think Shattuck even knows. And, and Fuzzy, I mean, he's a gregarious guy. You see him and he stepped in it. He said, uh, Tiger was going to serve what collard greens and fried chicken. He said, yeah. oh, whatever else those people eat. And right oh, then geez. Fuzzy Zeller was a dead man walking. He lost all his endorsements. He lost millions with, with Kmart, who was his big endorser, and he just became uh, a, a villain for the rest of his life. He's still around, but uh, he never recovered from that. I was going to say, thank, uh, thankfully, Sergio Garcia has pulled out because he had one of those moments himself involving Tiger Woods, so thankfully he wasn't asked about the dinner tonight. What did he, I think he said basically the same thing, didn't he? Did he say? Is that what? Is that what yeah, I'd have to look up. He said something about fried chicken or something oh, like that. It did not go well. It did not go well for Sergio. There was well, a what Sergio could say it's a, you know, it's a language thing or he's, you know, not used to our culture with fuzzy, you know, he always, yeah. it just, it, it was not good. And uh, I don't even know if he shows up and goes to the champions dinner anymore because it, uh, it was not good. So I don't like your guys no. champs, uh, Shattuck. I got a good feeling about it, Jerry. You do, yeah. Well, now that Jack Nicholas has been, um, you know, has been banned, and he's now on the AOC death list for uh, for writing a nice post about Donald Trump last week, Jerry. Uh, Leaderboard little down. Yeah, that's a good list. You got Bobby Orr on that list, and and, uh, and Jack Nicholas, and Brandy Love, and Brett Favre, and <laughs> and Jerry Callahan. I'm proud to be on that list. I'm proud. I would like to be on AOC's death list. AOC slash Jake Tapper. They're both keeping lists. It is the most chilling thing. It's another great example of how liberals, liberal, liberalism is dead. They are keeping lists like Stalinists now, and they do it with such a lack of self-awareness. Like, we're tracking you. Anyone who worked for Trump, helped Trump, you're not going to get a job. Uh, the Lincoln Project's doing it. My new favorite list, CNN's doing it, of course. Uh, uh, you don't. I mean, no one actually watches CNN, but you see it on Twitter. They got a list and they're keeping track of all the senators and congressmen who haven't congratulated Joe Biden. So if you're a Trump loyalist and you want to let this play out, you know, let him uh, exhaust all his uh, legal recourse in this fight against um, uh, voter fraud. If you don't call Biden and congratulate him, even though no state has been verified, he's not the president elect yet. Uh, you are on CNN's list and they're going to check you off one at a time. Oh, did he call? Did he wish Biden well? It's incredible. And I guess it's no surprise. I say this all the time. I always knew the media was in the tank. I mean, for all my adult life, I knew 
you know, the New York Times was not really a newspaper. The Boston Globe was a, is a joke. And, and ABC, NBC, CNN. But what Trump did was just expose them in, to the point where they don't care. They don't even pretend anymore. It's just comical. They don't even pretend. The press conference yesterday with Biden coming out there, he's got his little script written by written by uh, John Meacham, who, by the way, said Biden did a wonderful job answering questions yesterday. And, and he did a great speech the other day. Meacham, talk about uh, objective journalists. That clown, that absolute fool, John Meacham, and I love the, the usual suspects on Twitter, love John Meacham. He's so thoughtful. What a sleazy bastard. Now, I had Alex Reamer on yesterday, and he made a great defense for John Meacham. He said, what about Sean Hannity? And I said, what? <laughs> what about Sean Hannity? I'm going, what are you talking about? Sean Hannity talks to Trump. Sean Hannity tells you the truth. He might be the most honest guy in in New York or D.C. I mean, you know where he stands. You know he likes Trump. You know he uh, talks to Trump. So what? John Meacham wrote speeches. By the way, I was just reading this. He's been doing it for the whole campaign, writing speeches for Biden and then going on MSNBC and saying, what a wonderful speech that was. <laughs> even, even NBC, even MSNBC has some standards. They fired the sleazy bastard and said, uh, you can't, you're not a paid contributor. He can still come on, but he's not going to get paid anymore because obviously that's unethical. Even by today's standards, that's unethical, but they don't care. Did you get the sense yesterday watching the media with Biden? And he's, again, he's, he's struggling, but they are there to help him. Their job now is to steer this, this doddering old man through the, the, the minor little bumps in the road and help him to January 20th. He'll go back in the bunker as soon as he can. And, you know, he'll give a, obviously he'll give a state of the union address, which will be interesting. And he'll give occasional press conferences in front of these fawning media people. But you get the sense that they step up to the mic with one goal in mind. Let's help Mm -hmm. old Joe. Let's help our guy get through this, this moment. It's not easy for him to stand there even with a script, even with a fawning media, they got to help them through these these moments and avoid embarrassment. Right. Well, it's actually it's it's it shows a, a real skill what they're doing because what they do now is, and most questions are about thirty five seconds long. What they do now is embed the answer to the question in the question. Right. So they'll say, uh, President uh, Elect Biden, don't you think that President Trump is damaging the democracy? by refusing to concede in the election in a historic election year where the country needs to unite and the country needs to push, cast off division and come together and parties need to cross and there needs to be conciliatory manner. And they, they finish it for him. Biden stands there with his mouth open and simply just has to say, well, exactly. And the, the votes have to be counted, but president Trump needs to understand that he needs to be responsible for this. And so in there, when they write it up, all of their own verbiage, all their own copy is used in the answer to the question. Biden agreed right. that bang. It's, it's, it's wonderful. They're doing him. A, I mean, they're really doing a, a nice job it's, for him. I don't know what you got from him, Colin, but yesterday was, isn't it awful that Donald Trump hasn't called you yet? And these president, these senators who haven't congratulated you yet, Mr. Biden, or I'm sorry, Mr. <laughs> President-elect, um, are you going to be able to work with them even though they haven't sent you flowers yet? I mean, I guess 
It's going to be fun. It's going to be funny. I can't let it bother me. We know these aren't real journalists. There are no real journalists. I mean, except maybe, you know, occasional bloggers out there or guys, you know, like, you know, with their cell phones, like the guys covering the the BLM and Antifa riots. Citizen journalists are the only ones actually doing the job. Now it's just an extension of the Biden team. But yes, I feel like these are, I feel like these they are, have that glitter. You know how they used to have with Obama that little glitter in their eye, that glow oh, in their totally. eye. Oh, when they see, they step up and they go, "I get a chance to talk to Joe Biden," and they get so well, excited. Well, Jerry, we talked about it before, and I know this isn't new, but just listen when the glitter in the eye with Obama. Just listen. Not only does Obama when he talks to Jeff Zeleny, not only does he just charm Jeff Zeleny. This is ten years ago. This is. Um, when Zeleny was with the New York Times, Jeff Zeleny now runs all the CNN political reporting. But not only that, but Obama works the entire room. Everybody in the room, every member of the White House press corps is just bowled over by him. During these first 100 days, what has surprised you the most about this office, enchanted you the most about serving in this office, humbled you the most, and troubled you the most? Now, let me write this down. <laughs> Surprised. Right, I've got, uh, troubled. I've got, uh, what, what was the first one? Surprised. Surprised. Troubled. Troubled. Enchanted. Enchanted. Nice. And humbled. That was, that was, that was humbled. 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 Thank you, sir. Rolling you. in the aisles. That was a low point uh, and a funny point. That guy's in charge of CNN's coverage? I did not know that. Well, well Zeleny was the one. Here, I'll play it. I think Zeleny's the one who asked about Mitch McConnell yesterday. Hang on. Mr. President-elect. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has suggested today that he may not recognize the outcome of this election until the Electoral College meets next month. Have you spoken to your longtime uh, friend in the Senate, Mr. McConnell, and what do you make of his specific comments over the last 24 hours? I haven't had a chance to speak to Mitch. Uh, my expectation is that I will do that in not too distant future. Um, I think that uh, the whole Republican Party has been put in a position with a few notable exceptions of uh, um, being um, mildly intimidated by the sitting president. Um, oh, oh, my God. Talk about Sleepy Joe. I mean, God, did he miss his morning cup of coffee? That's the guy we have to listen to for the next four years, or at least until... Until Kamala uh, succeeds in ousting his his old his, his decrepit old ass and and takes uh, ascends to the throne, but that guy is in charge of CNN's coverage. That is a pajama boy. That is a pathetic <laughs> sycophant who does not care about news or stories or journalism. He cares about sucking the toes of the people he's supposed to be covering. That guy is pathetic. What has enchanted you? Enchant <laughs> Can you imagine a journalist asking Donald Trump what's enchanted him the most? Or forget Trump, just asking, you know, whoever, uh, Reagan or Bush. or uh, What's enchanted you the most? He's just a, a, a sad, pathetic, ass-kissing stooge. Can you imagine going back to your editor at a, at a newspaper and them saying, oh, what did you get today at the presser? And say, well, I asked him what enchanted him. And holy Jesus, I'll, certainly you'd be out of a job, but you would be tarred and feathered. It's incredible. But I just want to play one other thing, Jerry. I got from the Obama era, from that time, from 2010 
This is Jeff Zeleny talking about Robert Gibbs stepping down with two other D.C. journalists. Joining us today is Jeff Zeleny from The New York Times, who has some fantastic breaking news out of the White House, where it's also going to be a new day. Jeff, why don't you t talk to us a little bit about the fact that Robert Gibbs stepping down as White House yeah. press secretary, what this means and who's going to replace him? What it means is that... Uh, He's the most visible person in the White House. He's at the briefings every day. He's really has become sort of a household, at least face, if you will, if not a name. And I think it means that there is a, you know, more of a restructuring going on there if, you know, than we once thought. If you put everyone together on a list who is uh, coming and going, there are a lot of uh, people changing offices. But at the end of the day, Robert Gibbs is still very much going to be in, in uh, Barack Obama's orbit. So wait a second. Turnover at the White House is something that only happened during the Trump administration. <laughs> Remember? This is 2010, a huge shakeup, including the chief of staff at the Obama administration after they got shellacked in the, in, the, uh, in the midterms. And people are coming and going. Gibbs is out on his ass. And there's a total shakeup in the White House coming and going. But now it's healthy turnover back then. You know, this is a good I, I thing. Mean we see no reason to panic whatsoever in the Obama White House. Don't worry. Gibbs will still be around. We still love him. Everything's are, fine. All right. Today's episode brought to you by Flagship Wealth. With me, as always, remotely is Dave McDonough, Flagship Wealth. Dave, uh, wild few days here. Give me an update. What? How's the impact on the market? Dave, we ended up last week down 3%. A lot of people out there that took their money, put it to cash, and wanted to wait the selection out. What a big mistake, Dave. You vote with your ballot. You don't vote with your portfolio. Market up as of this taping, 7% for the week, just 1.5% from an all-time high. You do not try to time this market, Dave. It'll make you look foolish. Wow. You do not vote with your portfolio. Hot take right there from Dave McDonough. Love it. Dave, <laughs> we do this each and every week. People can get this directly to their email. Go to flagshipwealth.com slash retirement. What are they going to find if they sign up for the captain's blog? You know, Dave, it's all about being proactive in this market. We, again, believe in active management versus passive. Do not buy into the strength this week, folks. Long-term investors, there'll be opportunities for you. And again, continue to look for value. Do not chase this market. So in the captain's blog, you get the market updates, but then you kind of bring it, bring it back to the consumer level. So that's what people can expect if they go to flagshipwealth.com slash retirement, go to flagshipwealth.com slash retirement, sign up, get this directly into your inbox each and every week. Dave McDonough, thank you very much, my friend. Hey, we see you next week. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC. We're always going to be grateful for Trump, even if it's a one-term thing for for a number of things. And But exposing the media like no one has ever done before is going to be the one, one of the great things he ever did for the republic. And it continues, even though he's not out front, he's not calling into Fox and Friends every day. He's kind of sitting back, letting his legal team do their thing. What we have here is voter fraud. And uh, rampant voter fraud, is it widespread? That's the word the media has latched onto. No widespread, which is pretty nebulous, uh, voter fraud, but massive voter fraud around the country. We knew it was coming. We knew that's why they did vote, uh, mail in voting, why, why we had early voting, drive by voting, everything designed to allow them to steal the election. They succeeded. Uh, give them credit. They set out to defeat the big bad orange man, and they apparently did. And in their mind, there is no uh, limit or uh, there's no moral uh, limit to what they were going to do. When you think about it, here's what it comes down to, Tom, and I've explained this before. 
But, you know, Hillary lost. They were shocked. Trump took over. They hate him. So they decided four years ago, hell, you know, Hillary, Obama, Biden, when they decided to cook up the Russian hoax, they said, we must stop him at all costs. It doesn't matter if it's illegal, immoral. It doesn't matter. He's evil. If something's mm -hmm. evil, you know, if someone's Hitler, you can do anything. You can do, you can rationalize it and you can do anything to stop him. And that's what they did this time. They said, we must stop him at all costs. And they did, whether it came to, you know, marking the, the ballots that came in late and pre, pre uh, marking them on election day or, or stuffing the ballot box or having dead people vote, whatever it took. And if you were to ask any Democrat, do you have any compunction? about what you did. Some of it's illegal, much of it's in, in, uh, inappropriate. Do you, do you have any uh, second thoughts, any hesitation? They would say, absolutely not. We're talking about Donald Trump. Yes. He must be defeated. He must be defeated. So now we're finding out again, did we, I mean, Kellyanne, Con uh, Kellyanne Conway, Kaylee McEnany yesterday, she was uh, Fox pulled the plug on her the two days ago because that smarmy Pew Cavuto didn't like what she had to say. That's a new thing. If you don't like what someone in Trump's team has to say, take them off the air, shut them up. That's that's the new uh, method for the media. No free speech, no let's, let's exchange ideas and debate. Just shut them up. That's what they do on CNN. They don't show the speeches if they don't like them. Well, now Fox is doing it. Cavuto, who nobody even watches. His ratings are in the toilet. Why he even has that prime spot is beyond me. Says, I'm not going to let you hear from her. She's making mm -hmm. charges, you know, baseless charges. So Sean Hannity has her on last night. She, in her hand, she has 234 pages of sworn affidavits, testimony under the penalty of perjury of people who've seen uh, voter fraud, who've seen improprieties and irregularities, citizens who said, yeah, here's what happened. She's waving in front of the cameras and all the other networks and newspapers are saying, no evidence, baseless charges. And then you have absolute embarrassments like Charlie Baker, the governor of Massachusetts, saying, I can't believe these baseless charges. And it's like, baseless? I mean, you could say they don't swing the election. You could say, you know, Michigan is 150,000 votes. He's not going to be able to uh, uh, take Michigan, swing the vote enough to win it. Fine, say that if you'd like. But the word, when you say baseless or you say no evidence, you expose yourself as just a partisan who doesn't want to get to the bottom of it, who doesn't want to hear the truth and expose this this kind of fraud because it's there's plenty of evidence. It's It's in plain sight. Right. No, there are absolutely. And you don't need widespread voter fraud. All you need is Cook County to give JFK the presidency. And, but there is, I mean, they can't, I, regardless, you know, the margin's too close and, and Trump will not be, you know, declared the winner. And these recounts aren't going to swing that many votes. But for Jesus Christ, you would think that if you're confident enough in your victory that you'd want to at least vet this to say, hey, we went through, the we did our due diligence, we went through everything. And, uh, you know, we made every effort to support the efforts of the team of Team Trump to try to make sure the election was legitimate. But it, rather than just shut it down, they, you're right, though. You're right. Since that day in 2016, they just considered Trump somebody who's not the credible president. They considered him somebody who stole the election with Cambridge Analytica, Jerry. Remember that? That was a thing for right, two and right. a half years. Cambridge right. Analytica. And Trump was a paid subcontractor of Vladimir Putin. We were told... 
by the New York Times, by news outlets, by all these serious people in the in the press room who just asked Joe Biden, uh, you know, how bad Donald Trump is, like Jeff Zeleny. <clears throat> it wasn't dangerous rhetoric for two years when they, they did this. They created an impeachment template for this. Unfortunately, Mueller didn't know it was in his own fraudulent report, so they couldn't impeach him over that. So they tried to throw him out over something else. I mean, yeah, and, and and so now what you, I understand Democrats, they know that they got this, uh, they used every underhanded tactic. They know why they uh, push so hard for mail-in balloting and, and ballot harvesting. They know that they broke all the rules to, to oust the, the evil orange man, and they don't want to get to the bottom of it. I understand that, why they want to move on. But these are actual journalists, and you're talking about a major story. You're talking about voter fraud across the country. I mean, guys who are testifying to seeing, to committing voter fraud, and they say, no, 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 it's time to put that behind us. The same people who spent three years and the $30 million chasing the, the made-up Russian hoax, which, you know, was fine. You know, the Facebook ads, something. I mean, they're, they're, they literally will still rationalize the Russian witch hunt and say, you know, no, that, that election was not legitimate. This one is. It, it's comical to see the lengths they will bend over. And there's never any reckoning, Jerry. There's never any reckoning. You're right. He was. It was the Russian hoax. It was all vaporware that they put out there. There was nothing to it. But they said, you need to put country over party because this guy, Trump, colluded, worked with and cooperated with Russians to try to win an election. When, in fact, we have literally the receipts now that Team Clinton Hillary worked with the Russians. She paid for the dossier. They paid Russians. I mean, the, it, the proof is there, but that's now gone. They never have to reckon with what they said, these same media people. They never, Brian Stelter never has to say, by the way, I screwed it up badly for the last two years and right. scared the hell out of you. And remember, you know, it's about Trump needs to bring the temperature down. Well, who's raising the temperature when you've convinced the American people that the communist Russians are running the country, are running our country? Uh, and, and, and the idea that Trump is not supposed to be magnanimous when, again, I'll say it again, I'll say it every day. Joe Biden, days before leaving office, with Obama was plotting on how to uh, undermine the Trump presidency, the Trump candidacy for months, and then the Trump presidency. Biden was involved in that effort that under to to wiretap the Trump campaign uh, and charge uh, General Flynn with the Logan Act. That was Trump. That was Biden's idea. And now Biden, one week after the election, can stand up there and say it's an embarrassment that he wants to count all the legal votes and expose all the fraud. Fortunately. This is Donald Trump we're talking about again. If this were Mitt Romney or that or that that disgrace, that despicable snake, Mitt Romney or or Jeb Bush or one of those or George Bush, it'd be over. They'd be begging. They'd be saying, you know, you know, congratulations, Joe Biden. You know, did I do good, Andrea Mitchell? Did I do good, uh, Chuck Todd? You guys proud of me? I I, I surrendered. You you happy now? Here's one thing that just blows my mind that I will always remember because I've seen a lot of election nights, as you have, Shattuck, and I know we're exposing a lot of fraud, and I know it probably won't overturn the result, but it will hopefully get some people arrested, hopefully it'll wake up the Republicans so next time they will not agree to have, you know, drive by the polling place and blink twice and we'll count your vote as a, a vote for the Democrat. Make it easier. We didn't make it easier. Like, voting's not easy enough. If we had everybody go to the polls, show their ID, and vote, 
Trump would have won in a landslide. You know, they, the reason Biden won is because they were they made it, they facilitated the fraud. They made it easier. The bail, the mail-in balloting, the ballot harvesting, the no showing ID, every rule they put in place was designed to make it easier for Democrats to 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 steal the election. And they succeeded. And God bless them. Some of it's legal, some of it's not legal. But I'm looking at the results that uh, um, on election night, and this is right about the time maybe you went to bed. I'm not sure. How, uh, I mean, look at um, Georgia. Georgia right here. This is uh, a chart from a James Woods tweet. Georgia had, I think, 83% in. Trump had 53%. Biden had 45%. He was up 8% with 83% in, and the polls closed. These are all numbers when the polls closed, uh, Tom Shattuck. Pennsylvania, polls closed. This is incredible. Polls are closed. Biden, 41.8%. Donald Trump, 57%. He was up more than 15 percentage points when the polls closed. He had 2.5 million. Biden had 1.8 million. And he lost, quote unquote, that state. Michigan, he was up 10 points when the polls closed. 59% votes were in in Michigan. In North Carolina, which I never understood why that took, polls closed. They had 94% of the vote in. Trump was up 1.5%. And they have they called it yet? Has North Carolina been no, called? No, they haven't called they it. 94% of the vote in on election night. He was up one point. How that's, I don't even understand. Maybe you help. He was up five points in Wisconsin when the polls closed. But again, Georgia, uh, 8%. Pennsylvania, 15%. He was up when the polls closed. And Michigan, 10% when the polls closed. Have you seen? Have you seen this site, Jerry? Oh, uh, uh, Jerry Cowan podcast listener. I'll give him a shout out right now. DM me this yesterday. Everylegalvote.com. So this is a shout out to Lord Blueberry. <laughs> this is his Twitter handle. You got to go to this. Everylegalvote.com, and you can sort by with fraud, without fraud, and then the current status. And it's wild. Like I, if the Trump campaign isn't behind this thing, it's the most beautifully done website. Uh, and you should see what it has. It has Trump. <laughs> you got to just you got to go check it out. But uh, it, without fraud, it has Trump in a fucking landslide. You got to see it. I, I just sent you this chart. A chart. It's just results when the polls closed. And I don't understand. I legitimately don't understand how this happened. I've never seen anything like it. Usually the polls close. If you're up one percent, you're good. Right. If you're up at all, when the polls close, you're supposed to be good. He was up. I, and this is another reason I don't blame Trump at all for fighting to the death. He was up 15 points in Pennsylvania when the polls closed. This was all this was all by design. They knew that if they were trailing when the polls closed or trailing at any point, they had a backup plan. It was bags full of ballots. You know, it was it was somehow, some way they were going to have enough votes to get them over the top. And by the time the voting, uh, the the questions, uh, the counting stopped, Pennsylvania, you know, they were counting votes for three days at, that came in after the polls closed. It's right. just mind-boggling. So the polls are closed, and they're finding mail-in ballots, no postmark, no signature, just going, hey, this one's for Biden. It's uh, clearly there was uh, fraud, clearly. Right. And I understand that there can be anomalies. So if you're watching on Facebook, Cullen, just got it up there. It's mind-boggling. Look at those numbers. Michigan, Georgia, Pennsylvania. 
You're telling me that was on the up and up? That was on the level? I don't believe it. I'm sorry. I'm a cynic. I don't believe that the Democrats just have, happen to make a big comeback the next morning and win uh, fair and square. They did not. And here's, I got, I got to break it to my friends, my Biden fans, friends who are Biden fans. I'm never going to think it's legit. I'm never going to think he's he won this legitimately. Never. I mean, I look at those numbers. I see the stories. I see the affidavits of the testimony. Uh, you know, some of it is uh, shrouded. Laura Ingram had this woman with the, the voice changer on last night talking about all the fraud she saw on election night. There's just overwhelming evidence of, of voter fraud. Was it enough to swing the election? I don't know, but there's so much of it. I can't help but think this was illegitimate. And this guy, again, uh, he's not, he's not, it's not going to go well. Um, unfortunately, you didn't have a good candidate. Democrats have a guy who's, who's not going to make it through one term. It's going to be, uh, <laughs> it's going to be ugly at some point. But well, the thing I will is, never you know, look at him and say it's legit. He was, he's the legit uh, winner of this election. Well, just eight days ago, Every major Democrat and newsmaker was agreeing with you, saying that there's rampant voter fraud that happens every time, and it's on the right. And they were saying this is exactly what the Republicans did with Stacey Abrams, that they can duplicate across no, the no, United that's States. that's suppression. Get it straight. Right. right. Well, and they said, obviously, and you don't hear about that anymore, Shattuck. You know why? Because he got yeah. 76 million votes. You know, they set records everywhere. So that whole voter suppression thing, yeah, forget about that. We just that, that was just made no, up. That's, that's right. stolen all the mailboxes, Jerry. There were videos <laughs> and pictures everywhere of mailboxes, you know, hogtied and being driven away to be melted down. And, uh, and you know, it, it, the whole system, we're told, the whole system, including the Electoral College, that had to go. Uh, now that can stay, apparently. But the funny thing is, is that in two years, there's going to be a midterm election in which the civil war between AOC and Joe Biden and every other whack job is going to be the referendum that brings in a huge Republican landslide. And guess what's going to be back when that happens? Voter fraud will be back when that happens. Absolutely. Yeah, but, uh, I think it's another favor I think Trump has done is going to bring this to light. And hopefully Republicans don't just roll over like they did this time and agree to every new provision and say, oh, you know, coronavirus, coronavirus. We got to have mail-in voting, early voting. We got to make it easier to, to register and don't show any IDs and everything. Coronavirus, that's what they used, as always. You know, the Democrats used this pandemic and it, and it worked and it worked. I give them credit. It worked. They're going to get away with it. Uh, you know, four years ago, right now, they were telling us the president-elect was a puppet of Putin, took his orders from Putin, and the, their lapdogs in the media ran with it. And those same people are saying, you know what? You know what? I think it's time to move on for the good of the country. And if you don't agree, you're on the list. You're on the death list. And by the way, if you attempt to tweet or post Facebook, uh, post on Facebook about voter fraud, we got our guys in place to 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 uh, bring it down, suspend you, ban you. Yep. It is frightening this 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 deep state effort to make this all go away and install this illegitimate president. I'm going to say it, damn it, this illegitimate <laughs> president. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna embrace that. But uh, selected, not I, elected. I think, I think right, selected, not elected. I'm with the resistance. Resist, and you know what else? Uh, Resistance is is patriotic. 
Uh, yes. I'm a patriot. I, I don't like the president. I'm a patriot. Trump but I do party. think, Shattuck, I do think we have to appreciate one thing with the new in, uh, incoming administration. And again, I think there was rampant, widespread voter fraud, not enough to overturn the election, unfortunately. And Donald Trump, we're going to just have to enjoy you know, the, the post-presidency Trump, which will be wild. There's a rally this weekend in D.C., for uh, you know, patriots for Trump, which is going to be wild. These are people who are, are just pissed and frustrated, and they're going to let out some steam, and it's going to be nuts. They won't burn any buildings. You don't have to put up plywood again. You don't have to worry about looters, but they are going to have their say. And I think Biden, Kamala Harris administration will provide plenty of comic relief for us. We'll they'll be here, and 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 they'll continue. And they'll do things like. Uh, their new coronavirus task force that he named 10 people and Biden didn't do it. He doesn't know what he's doing, but somebody behind some power behind the throne, put this group together, include some hardcore team lockdown guys, including one guy who's been making the rounds saying that we have to do like Australia and other countries in, in, in Asia who went hard on the lockdowns. Australia had this lockdown that went for like four months where you it was illegal to leave your house except for an hour a day. It was illegal to go more than three miles from your house. No work, no school, no nothing. This guy thinks that may be the direction we're going, which is the most unpopular thing. But again, Biden doesn't know what he's doing. He's going to defer to the scientists. And on his task force, he's got scientists that want to lock the head the whole country down again, put the uh, uh, economy back in the dumper, just completely destroying the morale of America. Mm-hmm. They're waiting for the big next big spike so they can lock us all down. But anyway, even more uh, entertaining to me is uh, uh, Ezekiel Emanuel. We've talked about him before. He's Rahm Emanuel's brother. He's this creepy, ghoulish doctor who somehow has ingratiated himself to every politician. Trump consulted with him for some freaking reason i don't know i don't know what i don't know why but he's out front you've seen him on tv he's got this lisp and he's just creepy he's a ghoul he, he he's the reason that uh sarah palin when they were talking about uh, uh, initially talking about obamacare said they're going to have death panels of mm-hmm. course uh sarah palin was mocked and ridiculed by the media but she was right she was right the whole time because he his thing is he doesn't understand why we put so many resources into old people, like why you would spend real money, lots of money to give a you know eighty five year old a, a heart transplant or a whatever a lung tra- or a knee or, or a hip transplant. If you're 85, 88, 90, he probably thinks the coronavirus is a wonderful thing. He thinks people yeah. over seventy five should just go away and die. He has written, I just read it, a piece for the Atlantic. Um, the, the headline is, Why I Hope I Die at 75. He says, that's how long, seven, his lead of the, the Atlantic piece is 75. That's how long I want to live. And he goes on and on about how people over 75 are a burden. Your best days are <laughs> over. He says, we are no longer remembered as vibrant, engaged, but as feeble, ineffectual, and pathetic. That's how he says people are over 75. <laughs> So we shouldn't spend a lot of money on people over 75. All right, quick rundown. Who's over 75? 
The guy who hired him, allegedly. (laughs) He's working for a president who is almost, who's going to be 78 in a few days and who is not all there. Again, who's, let me go back to the line. He's not remembered as vibrant or engaged, but feeble, ineffectual, and pathetic. Who does that describe to you, Tom Shadow? (laughs) That is the description of the guy who just hired him to be his consultant who thinks that when you're over 75, you should wander off into the woods <laughs> or into traffic and just stop burdening your family or stop burdening society. Um, Did he write a uh, blurb for Cuomo's book, I wonder? Because he must love the way uh, Governor Cuomo's handled the old people in the state. I bet it was, uh, I bet it was his idea to have Biden run out the other night. <laughs> That's a good point. Can I just say that doesn't work because he runs like an old man when he runs to try and look vibrant. <laughs> it's so uncomfortable. He looks like, uh, you know, he, yeah, he, he, he looks, looks like, like there's an emergency. When, when they bring out those world war two veterans that go skydiving or something and they can barely move. And you're saying that's a wonderful thing, but man, his best days are behind him. I would be curious to see how many people on the task force. There's 10 people, these 10 hacks that, that Biden brought on to you know force lockdowns upon us and maybe get old people to just die. How many of them agree with him? Hell, how about wouldn't that have been a good question for the press conference yesterday, Tom Shattuck? Mr. What do they call him? Mr. President elect. Mr. President elect, your most prominent coronavirus task force advisor thinks everyone over 75 is a useless waste of time and, and resources. Do you agree? Biden's 78. Let, let, keep this in mind too. Pelosi, 80. Mitch McConnell, 78. Dr. Fauci, the sainted one. St. Anthony is 80, I believe. All these people who are making all our... um, Dianne Feinstein, 87. Chuck Grassley, 87. Chuck Schumer is, what, 78 or something? I mean, these people... I agree. They are a burden. I agree. They should all just go away and 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 just keep, and, just keep them off the golf course. Don't don't murder them. But keep them <laughs> off the golf course. You know, let them stay at home. Watch watch Prices Right or some shit. No, you know they're not on the golf course, Dave. They're busy making life and death decisions that affect 330 million people. They're busy doing the most important jobs on the friggin' planet. And they're 78, 80, 87, 80, 82, 85. I, you know what? I'm starting to come around. This Ezekiel Emanuel doesn't seem like a, a bad guy. Just get, so, get Diane Feinstein to wander off. Let's leave us. Let them know <laughs> that but Zeke Emanuel, and people should remember, you know, you talk about Fauci and the fact that he's got no credibility. He lied to us about masks because they had to. Because him and all the other egg-headed bureaucrats in the health industry right. said, we have to lie to the American people because they're stupid. Um, and they'll buy up all the masks. So let's lie to them about the masks. And then he patted himself on the back a week later saying, yeah, we had to lie to you because, you know, we didn't, we can't trust you to make decisions. Well, the Zeke Emanuel is on the ground floor of this kind of, of thought. Remember, he's, him and Gruber worked together to craft Obamacare. And they had to lie to the American people about Obamacare consistently, consistently, including keeping your own doctor and keeping your own plan. The they biggest had to lie. Ever, the biggest lie ever told yep. from the Oval Office, in my life at least, the biggest lie ever told. He looked in the cameras over and over and over again and said, you can keep your doctor, knowing you couldn't. And and you know how they won that vote. It was completely on partisan lines, not one Republican mm-hmm. vote. It was by the skin of their teeth. And if they didn't tell that lie over and over again, it wouldn't have passed. 
but Barack Obama, I mean, some people think he was, you know, whatever, honest, straightforward. That is the biggest lie. There's nothing Donald Trump or Richard Nixon or, or you know, and Bill Clinton ever told to compare to that gargantuan lie because but, of the but, effect it had, because of the impact it had. Well, just not only was it an incredible lie, and they knew it from the outset, and they planned and talked about it. Obama and Ezekiel Emanuel and Jonathan Gruber and all the other know-it-alls, they knew it was better for us. So they, it's built on a lie. It passes on a lie, even though there was no real vote for Obamacare. They, it passes on a lie, and all they need to do at that point is execute it, and the execution collapsed. Obamacare.gov collapsed. Healthcare.gov collapsed. It was a total mess, and there was no real ramifications for it. I mean, if you were the media at that point, you would have had to say, how could this be possible? It was your one signature thing. This is the thing that's most changing the lives of a good portion of Americans, and they can't get on to the health care you've promised them. And Obama then gets up to the White House pre press briefing room and says, you know what? What we found out was it's harder to, to do this stuff in government than it is in the private sector. Well, no shit. That's why we didn't want nationalized health care, for God's sakes. But he's learning in front of us. But the press just said, you know what? Good point, Mr. President. Good point. Things are tough in government. Good point. Right. You think Jeff Delany, you know, put the screws to him? No. No, they probably Here, apologized. Here's uh, the other th uh, notable thing from Ezekiel Emanuel, Rahm Emanuel's creepy brother. Um, not only does he think everyone should die by 75 and we shouldn't spend any money on elderly care, um, I'll bet in his quiet moments he thinks coronavirus is 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 okay, you know, for for the world. He thinks when we have this vaccine and you know Pfizer, and by the way, I'll I'll never look at Pfizer the same again. They held the news till after the election that they have a vaccine. They wanted to help Biden and hurt Trump. They did, obviously. Uh, Pfizer has a vaccine. It's 90% effective. We think it's going to, you know, Fauci said it'll be ready by like 2028 because he always wants to be the, the doom and gloom guy. But although maybe not with this guy Biden taking over, maybe he'll be more uh, optimistic. But we think, you know, by the spring, Ezekiel Emanuel doesn't want to give it to Americans first. He wants to share it with the world <laughs> and find the most vulnerable people <laughs> around the world. So Pfizer invents it. The U.S. taxpayers pay for it. And the president-elect's advisor thinks we should, you know, start with, uh, I don't know, Zimbabwe or, or New Zealand and say, yeah, here you go. Here's our vaccine. Uh, let us know when, you know, when, you're, uh, when you're good and then we'll, we'll, we'll take it. I mean, the, right. that's the kind of people, the kind of globalists that we now have calling the shots. I'm serious about this. I tweeted about this last night when uh, – when Biden's person, whoever Biden's person is doing his tweeting, clearly not him, but we heard that he was talking to a number of foreign leaders. He said he talked to six yesterday, four, and we got congratulations from all the usual globalists like uh, whatever, uh, Trudeau and uh, uh, what's-her-face from Germany, uh, Angela, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Macron and all these people. <laughs> Trump gave the middle finger to made them pay their fair share at NATO. God, they hate that when they have to pay their fair share at NATO or United Nations, which is another great thing Trump did, made them pay up, get out of the World Health Organization, get out of the climate accords. Uh, Biden's promising to squander all that money, go back to pissing away hundreds of million dollars on these international globalist uh, uh, crime syndicates. Does anyone actually think 
the U.S. gives whatever is $3 billion to the climate accords, that that helps anything? I mean, it's just a waste. The World Health Organization has shown that they're completely in the tank for China. We're going to go back to giving them tens of millions mm-hmm. of dollars a year so they can help China cover up their next pandemic. Anyway. Well, but Jerry, before we move off of that, you know, Ezekiel Emanuel, who will be leading the coronavirus task force under Joe Biden, has said that the United States needs to go business-wise, like we have been, in a self-induced coma for uh, through 2020-21. So next year is off. We're underground. The businesses are closed. You know, it's, so for at least a, a year and a half. And so that destroys businesses and it destroys lives. And guess who's being considered for Health and Human Services uh, Secretary? Somebody who uh, Zeke Manuel would like very much, Charlie Baker. Charlie Baker's dead to me. And by the way, I, I thought Ezekiel Emanuel, because he's, he's, he's bald and he's kind of gaunt and he looks and he's gray. And I thought he was 70. He's only 63, so he doesn't want to die wow. for 12 more years. But he's the ultimate limousine liberalist. You know, he, his kids all went to Harvard and, they, you know, got their doctorate degrees from Harvard. And he's just one of these elitists who doesn't even understand what lockdowns do to, to working class people or small business people. He doesn't even understand. Oh, by the way, he went to uh, Amherst College uh, before he went to uh, Harvard. Um, no surprise there. But this creep doesn't understand the effects, the toll that lockdown have. He's just like Charlie Baker. He's an elitist, rich, you know, pompous, latte liberal. Here's where the here's where it's all going to end for Charlie Baker. He's dead to me already. Anyway, Charlie Baker, the governor of Massachusetts, he has an R next to his name. It's it, he's not an R. He's he's a Democrat. He's a liberal. He's given up on on small business. All the people who supported him and got them into office, he's turned around and told them to kiss his ass. He's busy pandering to academia and the Boston Globe. We've gone through this before. But if Liz Warren were to get a cabinet post, which is frightening, think of this. The cabinet is going to have people like maybe Andrew Cuomo for attorney general, Liz Warren, uh, Bernie Sanders is is lobbying for a cabinet post. This is going to be the most radical bunch this cabal of left-wing lunatics is going to be in charge of everything. But anyway, if she were to leave and go to Washington, Baker would be able to name her successor. What do you bet he names a liberal as the next senator? Baker uh, alleged. It's going to I be have some, a bet, Jerry. It's since I got some a, black, Hispanic woman, lesbian, one-eyed, you know, I mean, <laughs> handicapped. I mean, he's going to check as many boxes as he can and say to Linda Bazzuti, did I do good, Linda? Do you like my choice? She's really liberal. She's really, really, you know, she, 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 she likes the climate accords and she thinks climate change is the biggest problem we have today and systemic racism. That's the choice he's going to make. Since I called, I prognosticated perfectly with the football game, Jerry, I'm going to tell you again that we're six months from now, we will be celebrating Senator Cannon Grant in the United <laughs> States Senate. <laughs> Uh, no and surprise. it's about time because she needs to be heard, Jerry. Uh, or maybe, you know, maybe Ayanna Presley moves up in the world, becomes a, a senator because that's her destiny anyway. She's going to be uh, representing me for the rest of my life. Um, but, uh, and by the way, her new cause, freeing prisoners. My congressperson, who is an absolute lunatic squad member, Ringo Presley, thinks the top priority for government, state government right now, or probably federal government too, should be, is freeing prisoners because there's people in prison with the virus. Uh, I got news for you. 
Ayana. There are people outside prison with the virus, but she wants them to open the doors and just allow all these prisoners, infected prisoners, diseased criminals back on the streets. That's well, your cause. It pairs, it pairs nicely with defunded police. Right. And, um, you know, it, you, it's going to be marginalized communities that are just victimized again and again and again, you know, for this wacky, wacky, woke revolution stuff that's really, 2020 has been a terrible year for minorities in this country. It, it's been a good year for good liberals and Wellesley to feel good about what they did for minorities in this country. Right. But you have destroyed neighborhoods. You destroyed livelihoods. You know, the virus, we all know and hear that it hurts minorities the most, but but the, the funding the police thing, you saw it, Minneapolis is is a hellhole. We, we've done, you know, you've got over 100 police officers, I think, have left Minneapolis. And These defunding stuff. There's a story this morning about all the cops leaving NYPD. You know, the cops put in their 20 years to get their pension and they get, uh, there's jobs out there in the private sector. This is just uh, accelerating the whole process guys are saying i'm getting out of here i don't want to you know a get uh, busted for because i arrested some criminal and someone videotaped and decided i was racist or you know i don't want people spitting on me and and you know uh, saying fry them like bacon they just don't i'm sure the job is not a lot of fun these days so they're getting out it's just uh forcing them to 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 bail out quicker which is bad for societies just like defund police is insane but on the bright side, a lot of people out there, James Clyburn and others, are admitting that's one reason they had such a disastrous election day. That's one reason they lost so many seats in the House. What one reason they're not going to win the Senate is defund the police. I mean, the guy Clyburn said the reason Lindsey Graham won was because of defund the police. And mm-hmm. and Georgia, by the way, the the guy running against Kelly Leffler, the the Reverend, he's a big defund the police guy. There, this is going to be interesting. Yesterday, there was video of him with Fidel Castro, the Reverend. <laughs> in, uh, uh, this was like 30 years ago. He was honoring Fidel Castro in Harlem and had an event with Fidel Castro. You think that's going over big in Georgia? I mean, I, I, I'm not sure anymore. Georgia is not what it used to be, but I'm guessing that we're going to hold both those seats in, in Georgia because – People are pissed, and they don't want you know this these, this radical element controlling the Senate. So I feel well, good. About- so what do you do now? So now you've got AOC and Bernie and that part of the party saying, "Hey, we don't want Rahm Emanuel in the White House because he was in Chicago. He was not a woke uh, right. mayor as far as police brutality, et cetera, went. And so now the old guard, the old Obama guard, now is already at odds with all of the the uh, exuberance in the party." So this is this is going to be very very entertaining. And Biden can't do it. He has he has no way to push back. It's like you said, it's him and a few other octogenarians. Nancy Pelosi's about to be tossed out as speaker. They've well, the, got a problem. Uh, which would be great. Which would be great. And by the way, she should just go away and die anyway. She's eighty. But um, think of this: uh, Biden right now is going to have to campaign. I mean, not like in person, but he's going to have to endorse the two liberals in uh, Georgia and, and, and root for them outward openly, at least publicly, but quietly, privately, the word is I got sources. You know, I'm like, I'm like Jim Acosta. I got sources in the Trump white house. Anything, I mean, anything make you call bullshit more than when Jim Acosta says my sources in the Trump white house or in the Trump family say that, Mm -hmm. you know, Jared Kushner wants them to concede. I'm going, 
there is not a single person in the Trump White House who would ever return your phone call you know, or let alone tell you anything. He's just such a liar, that Jim Acosta, that blob. Anyway, um, quietly, Biden has to be rooting for the uh, uh, for Leffler and Purdue in Georgia. He has to be rooting for the Republicans to hold the Senate because then Mitch McConnell could do the dirty work. He could stand up to AOC plus three. He could stand up to Bernie Sanders and Liz Warren, and, and Joe won't have to. He could say, well... That's going to die in the Senate. If the Senate is controlled by Chuck Schumer, who has tacked way left because he knows AOC is mm-hmm. coming for his his old ass in in, uh, in whatever it is, two years. Is Schumer up in two years or four years? But anyway, AOC's gunning for him. So he has to be more radical and, and uh, to survive. If Schumer's in charge, that's not good for Biden. It just isn't because then the no. whole crazy radical Green New Deal, defund the police agenda is at is front and center and Biden will be on the spot. I mean, they'll ask him, what about the green new deal enchants you the most, Mr. <laughs> President elect. <laughs> All right. Let's get, I got a couple more things we got to get to here. A couple sports things for sports guy, Tom Shattuck. You, nice. get your sports, you get your baseball cap, your sports cap. Now that you're uh, on a roll with your picks, who do you Absolutely. like this week? Patriots or Ravens? Um, let's see. Uh, Ray Rice is with the Ravens, right? <laughs> I don't think so. the guy who eats the dirt? Is he the- lately, but I don't think he is anymore. No, no. But they still have uh, Lamar Jackson, former MVP. You know him? Yes, yes. Good play. Running Good quarterback. Play. Right, right, right. The um, Ravens will win by two touchdowns. Whoa, whoa. Uh, you know what? I don't know what the line is, but... Uh, I'll take the Patriots double or nothing. We'll just let this ride. Ten Ooh. bucks. You'll be looking at twenty big ones if the Ravens win Sunday. Very. And nice. someday you're going to get all the peanut M and M's you can eat again. Um, but I want to mention. I want to talk about Shea Concrete, and I'm going to get to uh, Tony Larusa, <laughs> another guy, by the way, that uh, Ezekiel Emanuel thinks is uh, beyond help. And in this case, I might tend to agree with Doctor Zeke. Uh, but first, Shake Concrete. You know what Shake can do for you? They can build you a building, Shattuck. Shake Concrete has buildings. They have buildings. They they partner with Easy Set Worldwide and they manufacture precast concrete buildings for multiple applications in a variety of sizes. Shay's been manufacturing precast buildings for over 17 years, and no one does it better. Precast concrete buildings provide the most durable and long-lasting option compared to other modular building applications such as metal, wood, masonry. Shake Concrete Manufactures delivers and installs these engineered precast concrete buildings as a true turnkey provider from initial handshake through the final installation support. With a focus on cost efficiency and quality control, each of their precast concrete buildings are pre-assembled at their factory and typically delivered and installed in one piece by their experts. Uh, you know what makes them uh, better than other buildings? They, they can uh, They can build them in the worst of weather because they do it indoors. That's unlike other, you know, wood, metal. They do it indoors, in in their big plants. They build your building. This increases productivity, lowers cost, and gives the customer a legitimate time frame of when the building will be placed on site. To learn more, simply go to shakeconcrete.com or call them up and ask for Frank or Mike. These are the experts in these buildings. They'll tell you what you need. They can tell you what sizes they can build. It's the answer. You need a building, go for a precast concrete building. Call them today 
or just log on to shakeconcrete.com. Learn all about their precast buildings. All right. Um, Tony Arusa <clears throat> was busted for drunk driving, and we get the we get the sound from that one. A few years back, I believe it was down in Florida where he passed out at a red light. It was very, very embarrassing. It's one thing to get arrested. It's another thing when they get you on video or on audio and you're stumbling and bumbling and you can't say the alphabet. Uh, that's That makes it worse. Um, but then he worked for the Red Sox because the Red Sox, you know, have a real high tolerance for, uh, for bad actors. You know, they have, they, they get clubhouse guys who've been accused of, you know, raping children and they get uh, managers who cheat and then they get rid of them for a year and then they bring them back. Uh, and they had Tony Arusa on the payroll for years and he was, you know, driving around endangering everybody in Florida because the guy doesn't know when to, uh, hand the keys over to someone else earlier this summer. He got named manager or manager, 76 years old. He started managing like 40 something years ago and they brought him back. Um, the Chicago white Sox. They must not have done a whole lot of homework. I'm guessing when they, um, brought him back. Cause last, what was the date on this, uh, DUI that he got, uh, Busted for uh, February. Get busted in February again. It must have been down in Florida again. Let me check. Uh, got arrested again for driving in under the influence at seventy. He, he was in Phoenix. Phoenix when he was busted. Jupiter. Yep. No, this was in Jupiter. Oh, in two thousand seven. I'm sorry, it was in Jupiter. Yeah. Um, yep. Wait a second. Phoenix. Yep. Probably scouting for the Red Sox, doing whatever the Red Sox had his, uh, you know, Red Sox. Uh, a company card with him, rented a car on the Red Sox and uh, had, you know, a few too many. And this time, obviously, he's, uh, he, this might be more embarrassing. I don't know which is more embarrassing when he couldn't say the alphabet uh, in 2007 or this year when he started trying to talk his way out of an arrest by showing the police officer his his Hall of Fame ring. <laughs> oh. Ah, oh, God, is that embarrassing. Here's the uh, police report. He's asked if he had any drinks. LaRusa says, quote, I had one glass of wine while at dinner with my friends. Before searching his person and placing him in the rear of the patrol vehicle, LaRusa asked, did you see my ring? <laughs> oh. Officer says, I asked LaRusa what, what he was talking about. LaRusa stated, I'm a Hall of Famer baseball person. While placing him in the rear of the patrol vehicle, LaRusa stated, I'm legit. I'm a Hall of Famer, brother. You're trying to embarrass me. Ooh. I advised uh, LaRusa that I will not embarrass him, that I would treat him with the utmost respect, says the officer. Um, do you really think? So that's, the, that's the do you know who I am? And, and then I have the resume to prove it. And he runs it down. <laughs> that's just First of all. I wonder if he's been let off the hook, maybe in St. Louis uh, when he was a hero or Oakland or maybe in Boston because, you know, he worked for the Red Sox and they tolerated this kind of behavior. Maybe they said, uh, you know, they looked the other way. But do you think there are times when this drunk, his drunk ass was allowed to walk free? He's, he, I mean, he's not a very quick learner. He did this in 2007, got busted, got humiliated. Uh, do we have any sound from 2007? Oh, we sure do. If you'd like to hear this it, is, uh, this is Tony La Russa, a legit Hall of Famer, brother, when he was caught passed out at a red light 13 <laughs> years ago. On rhythmic matter, don't sing it. Any questions about that? Okay, you may begin. A B C D E 
There's a few V's in there. I think he said Z uh, seven times during that. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing is, story. Do you have the story on what his uh, alcohol level was? Because I'm guessing it was uh, uh, over the limit when you're sleeping at a red light, you know, at whatever it was, midnight. You tend to uh, have a few, have uh, not a lot of yeah, blood. Yeah, that that's system. a tough one to explain away to the police when they first wake you up and you're in the car. I, You know, I, the thing is, is that guys who drunk drive a lot into their adulthood, they really like to drunk drive. <laughs> they just love it. So I assume I, 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 a bunch I, of I say this all the time. I, I don't. I, I swear to God, believe me, I'm not. I haven't done it since I was like in my 20s. Uh, I'm very, very paranoid. I had a couple of friends busted. I had a friend die. I had a good friend who wanted to drive when he got drunk. It was like, you know, some people want to. You know, they want to go chase chase women or other people want to, like, take their clothes off like Will Ferrell in old school and run down the street. He wanted to drive. We would have to, like, wrestle his keys away because he'd get drunk and say, let's go for a ride. And be like, what are you, nuts? He eventually got arrested driving, uh, running a red light at Leverett Circle. And when we asked him when he got bailed out, he couldn't, didn't remember. Didn't remember where he was. Didn't remember what happened. Complete blackout behind the wheel. That stuff scares the hell out of me. Yes. I mean, if he hits somebody, no, there's, there's no excuse. 15 years in prison. There's no excuse in today's world for driving drunk with, with the Ubers and just in general. Like I could I could almost see people years ago when you didn't have a cell phone and shit like that to some extent. I'm making excuses for him, but for Christ's sake. Now you can call somebody and get a goddamn ride in five minutes. Like it's not, it's just inexcusable. It's also yeah, totally agree. But I mean, I assume that, that La Russa is that's his, that's his favorite, you know, evening pastime is t- just cruising. And with the exception of the times when you fall asleep at the, um, at the light, you know, I'm sure he's, he's gotten let go. Right. Left, right? He's probably a pro cop guy. I assume he's a Trump guy. I don't know, but I kind of get the feeling. Oh, although if the Sox hired him, who knows? But, but, um, yeah, no. There's that's a that's trouble. That's trouble you don't need. Getting a DUI is no good. It, uh, it, at the very least, it's a huge pain in the ass and a lot of uh, a lot of money and heartbreak. It, but at the most, you know, you don't want to screw somebody's life up. You know, in 070 blew a point oh nine three, which is above the point oh eight limit, but it's lower than I thought. Um He's he's a big animal rights guy. That was his big cause. It's always been his big cause. I think he owned or ran a, a shelter, um, and uh, or paid for it. He's raised money a lot for uh, for uh, animal rights things, and he's against whatever fur, and he's against testing on animals and that oh. kind of thing. I'm not sure he's a. I'm not sure he is a Trump guy. I mean, he worked for. I didn't know that. He worked for Henry and Werner in New England in Boston, where you have to be two things: you have to be able to cheat. And you have to hate Trump if you're going to work for uh, the Boston Red Sox. Um, so he, you know, did that for a few years. I don't even know how many years he lasted with the Red Sox. But uh, it was just that was just, you know, he was on the payroll. I don't think he was actually doing anything. He was well, very, my- he was, uh, he was very critical of the Kaepernick movement, though. So who was he? Yeah. Yep. Yep. When I was in my uh, early twenties, Jerry, I had a scrape with the law in another state, and uh, so I had to take this a uh, driver's 
course, whatever. I had to I had to take a course because I was a bad driver, essentially. And it was funny because we had to watch this video in the video talking about being a more responsible driver. It was hosted by Bill Moyers. Oh, geez. Who, as you know, Jerry, has a couple of DUIs under his belt as well. Um, I, I assume, you know, you've, you've had your challenges cause, uh, both of us tried to do sober October. One of us succeeded, made it through the 31 days sober, uh, didn't work out for, uh, Tom Shattuck over here. The, uh, you know, the freewheeling, uh, hard living Tom Shattuck gambler, drinker, you know, obviously. <laughs> Well, when you we live this close to Groveland, Massachusetts, you know, and the boardwalk, there's a lot of the tempting uh, things. How many days did you make it? On sober well, I, I interrupted it uh, on the 15th. We went out with some That's friends, and there was no, there was no. I mean, the they are the friends had a couple of beers, and the beers were just gorgeous looking things, and that was that knocked us. I, I say I did it. I wasn't sure I could do it. I didn't really talk about it because I didn't. I wasn't sure I could do it, and I did it. And it wasn't as hard as I thought. But it was October. There's a reason it's October. Is because there's no like big holidays and mm -hmm. no vacation and nobody's like having parties and it's not like Columbus Day where you have to. I couldn't do it in the summer, you know, with cookouts and beer and golf, and I couldn't do it like right. uh, Christmas and. Uh, or any other, you know, Super Bowl. Well, super, my guys could probably do Super Bowl, but I couldn't do, you know, like St. Patrick's Day. Most other months have those days that you feel like you have to have a cold one or two. But October wasn't one of those times. And plus, the restaurants aren't really open. Uh, you know, there are the outdoor sections are open until 930 when Charlie Baker makes us all go mm -hmm. home and run from the scary virus. But the restaurants aren't. It's not like a lot of people are inviting you to go to a meet them at a bar, that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, so no. I'll do it. I'll do it again next year. We'll do it again together next year, Shattuck. We'll see if you can do it. That'll I'll be, be your good. sponsor. Can I be your sponsor? That would be good. I would. That was fine. And actually, November has been has been easier. I haven't, uh, you know, I haven't uh, sworn anything off. But it's it's socializing, man. I don't know. I mean, what are you going to say? We, you know, when when I before the fifteenth, before that night. I was like, you know what? I don't. I can be just a non-drinker. I don't ever need to really go out and have a beer. What am I doing? What but then that night when we found friends, including some Trump supporters, and we're having a great time, you know, you have that beer or a couple of beers. You're like, why? I why would I ever swear this off? It's so good, it's so <laughs> nice. Belongs in every situation. But, I don't know. Uh, just like giving up stuff for Lent, it just was a challenge. I I don't think it means anything in the long run, but it's a challenge. For me to give up like potato chips for Lent. I do it. I can do it. But I challenge myself. That's all. All right. One more thing uh, before we get out of here, before I let you go. Are you going to like, have a beer when we're done here? Maybe I got Manamillo on right here, Jerry. Yes. Both of you guys are married. I don't I mean, I don't know how you could go a month without drinking and being a married man. I, I'm thinking right. about going to hard drugs, to be honest with you. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I'll do that next October. Does that count if you do drugs in October, but no, oh, no drinking? Fair game. Fair game. Yeah, do the, well, do the, uh, the A lot of couples, a couple friends of ours, are moving from drinking to edibles. So I want to, I want to move to Oregon so you can do, like, shoot heroin now. It's legal to shoot heroin, do cocaine. You could do, you can snort lines of cocaine in front of a cop in Oregon now, and that's okay. You can do like oxycontin and oxycodone, those kind of prescription drugs. Are, and that's legal. 
in Oregon now. Isn't that bizarre? Which make that's people, they rob stores. They rob CVSs looking for the stuff. And that's illegal to rob the store. But once you get it, you can take it and do it in front of a cop, and it's no big deal. Anyway, uh, we said this when uh, Alex Trebek died. Is the guy was in the public eye for 40 years, and you never heard a bad word about him. Nobody didn't like him. and Everyone was just in awe of the great job he did. He was an icon without really any controversies in his life. And I wouldn't um, place Tommy Heinsohn quite in that uh, category because, hell, he was a crazy, uh, volatile coach. He was a crazy uh, announcer. But you will not hear a bad word about Tommy Heinsohn. He was and in my mind, he was the best thing he could be. He was genuine. You know, he was uh, authentic. There was no act. There was no faking. Mostly in his, the thing people know him most for, he was 86 when he passed away yesterday. That's a hell of a run for a guy his size with his, shall I say, blood pressure and the fact that he smoked cigarettes most of his life. I used to look at him 30 years ago and be walking into the garden and he was friendly and he was gregarious, but he was you know, cigarette going, drink going, whatever, and, and, and high strung. And I'd say he's not going to be around that long. And he was, and that's a good thing because he was working, you know, essentially up to the end almost, uh, uh, as the, uh, uh, color guys, the analyst, which he did for 30 something years for, um, for the Celtics, but he was involved in the Celtics for like 50 years, you know, which is amazing. Um, but I mean, like all player, a- all star coach, great coach, an announcer, national announcer, and then local announcer. And usually, Tom, I think of those Homer guys that do games. Is they're being a Homer just so they can survive? They're being a Homer, you know, like baseball play by play guys, like like Castiglione on the radio. He's a Homer because he's a sycophant. He wants the owners to like him and protect him for good reason. They do. He'll never get fired because the owners like him because he, you know, sucks up. That's not what Tommy was doing. He just loved the Celtics. He was rooting for his team. And when he get mad at the refs, it was 100% genuine. It wasn't out of self-interest. He just liked the Celtics. That's how he was. It was real. It was funny. It was a lot like, you know, Johnny Most in that regard. He was an entertainer as well as an announcer. And people appreciated it. And he just, no one ever said a bad word about him. Uh, his personality was loud and, and, you know, full of, you know, laughs. You could hear him laugh from, you know, three doors three doors down. You could, or if he was in the garden and you were 50 feet away, you could hear him laugh. He had that smoky uh, voice and, and just a great personality. And it was a hell of a run. It's also different to be it's different to be a homer as a color analyst. Like I want to throw Jack Edwards, you know, through a glass oh, window. I just he's the worst. It's different to be a play by play guy than a color guy. Scott Zolak's good proof of that, right? But right. that's a good been, point. He's been toning it down, right? Like that now they're trying to bring in Scalabrini, I think, is is doing a lot more, and he's just not the same, obviously, as as Heinzen. So he he seemed to I'm not gonna say he saw the writing on the wall, but he toned it down the last couple of years, right? I guess, yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes it was over the top, but it was funny and it was real. He wasn't acting. Yeah. He wasn't playing a role. You're right. Play-by-play guys, they're not supposed to do that. Color guys can get away with it, especially when they played and coached the team for decades. You can't expect them to be neutral. I guess he did a good job of it. I don't remember exactly what I thought of him when he was doing the national games, but he wasn't obviously yelling at the refs from the, from the seat 
the way he was when he was doing. He was self- still loud and boisterous. There's no doubt. I just saw him with uh, was it Brett, Brett Musburger who used to work with for some of those things, uh, and Dick um, Stockton. And he was he was definitely loud. But it's it's great when when there's and it's it's kind of rare they have somebody who can emote legitimately and provide good analysis. And you're right. He was like the, the loudest guy at every like Knights of Columbus Hall. And, you know, he talked like people. So I thought he was awesome. Even though I don't care less about basketball, but I always thought he was awesome. I, I always loved how he was a, a homer and, and he had no time for the refs. And I, you know, I don't think they mint those kind of people out of broadcasting school anymore. They're very it's rare. It's actually a good point. Rare good point by Cullinane is the pl- color guys, Zolak and, and, uh, Tommy, they, they don't bother me, especially if they played or coached the team. They're being – it's the play-by-play guys, the Jack Edwards, the Joe Castiglione's, who are doing it, and it's annoying, and they're doing it to please the owner, to assure some job security. That's annoying. But here's Lee Montville, former uh, Globey, former uh, Sports Illustrated guy when, with me when I was there. And he doesn't tweet a lot, I don't think, but I just saw his tweet, and it was perfect. He said, any day you were anywhere in Tommy Heinsohn's orbit – in person or at home with a beer and a clicker in hand was a good day. There were stories, laughs, bluster, and gusto, a sense of good fun that he brought with him 24-7, 365, for as long as most of us have been alive. R.I.P., sir. And it's true. He's been around. I mean, I was a kid, and he was the coach. I never saw him play, and he was a great coach, and you liked him because he yelled at the refs. He was fiery. Yelled at him. I mean, he was just emotional. And I always thought, you know, when he was done coaching, he'd coach again. But he just settled into a great life as a uh, as an announcer and had a, and was a painter, which is bizarre. This big yes. macho, <laughs> cigarette smoking, loud guy went home up to the North Shore and painted, you know, sketches and landscapes and oceans, and apparently was pretty damn good at it. Although I wouldn't know, but uh, had a great reputation for that and did a lot for charity and just. Everybody just liked being around him, and I think that's like the nicest thing you could say about someone. Everyone just liked being in his orbit. There's well. something to be said for somebody of his generation who, as a kid, you know, his parents were in the the, the depression, and as a as a young athlete, I assume that Heinsohn had to get a job on the off season when he was very young. Yeah, you it's know, a good like, point. He sold insurance. Upton Bell told the story of buying a life insurance policy off him when he was. <laughs> When he was doing that, uh, like you said, when he had another job uh, in the offseason, he was drafted with um, Bill Russell. They were rookies together, and, huh. and Russell's still alive. It's amazing. Russell's alive. Kuzi's alive. We lost Havelcheck, who was great, but we, and we lost uh, now Heitzen. But some of these guys are still around and still kicking, and uh, I don't know if he'll – obviously, he can't have funerals. Unless you want to put out the Black Lives Matter sign and celebrate, uh, you know, the defeat of Donald Trump, you can't have big gatherings, so you can't really have a big funeral. If they could have, it would have been huge, and it would have been a lot of laughs and a lot of fun. He was always, when I knew him, when I was around the garden, always with his wife, which is always a nice thing. Seeing him like holding hands on the elevator with his wife Helen of of I don't know how of many many years, uh, but you know, Coach of the Year award. Rookie of the year, like six-time All-Star, national announcer, local announcer, and just legend. And I think it was Kuzi who said nobody is associated with the Celtics, and it's a hell of a, a you know a dynasty, a legacy. But 
Nobody is associated more closely with the brand, with the with the Celtics brand than Tommy Heinsohn. Not the best player, not the most famous or accomplished player, but nobody is Mister Celtic quite like Heinsohn. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that sucks. Those guys are all essentially all gone. I mean, who's who's left? You know, it, it kind of reminds me of well, you probably you guys probably never did this, but at the Super Bowls. You know, I had to take – I didn't know anything about football when I was broadcasting from the Super Bowls, so I, I took every guest there was. But the, always the best guests were like the old guys like Jerry Kramer, like the old guys who were there who were tough as hell. Yeah, who would go on with you. You know, they'd be like, right. sure, they're selling their prostate you know, formula or something. Yeah, but they're tight. Like, you know that Tommy Heinsohn has some stories from the Red Hour back yeah. there. Like some real – just like I bet, uh, I bet you mentioned Bobby Orr earlier. I mean, hockey guys, come on. He must have some crazy stories, but they keep it. You know what I mean? Like what happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. If that were today's world, all that shit would be out there. They they famously wheeled Bobby Orr after one of his knee surgeries out of the hospital and into a bar. You know, his teammate, Derek Sanderson, and Wayne Cashman, and Ken Hodge, and the whole crew. Um, And uh, when I've been with him a few times, or I say, I got to hear it. And and we've done – a couple of these charity trips to Sport Myers with Bobby Orr, and just to get things going, I'll say, "Tell us about the time they wheeled you out of the hospital and down the street, you know, like uh, like the the Beatles or whatever. No, the monkeys down the, the monkeys wheeling you down the street in your bed uh, to the bar, just to tell that story, just to laugh and get people going. And Orr is great at it, and Heitzen was great at it. I mean, I can't imagine the number of times he spoke to." whatever groups schools and, and just told one funny story after another but yeah didn't no they, they went up to esposito had a place in beacon hill right didn't they just reel them like right out and then right yes, up to right, beacon hill they... right to it was called like the iron horse or something i forget the name of the bar but i can look it up but uh r.i.p thomas william heinson or as ronald reagan called him heinson because he couldn't pronounce the names of the uh when they won the uh, championship in 81 or uh, 84, or one of those championships. But uh, it was a hell of a run, Tommy Heinsohn, R.I.P. And R.I.P. And, you know, he lived a little too long for uh, Ezekiel Emanuel. It would have been nice if he croaked uh, 10, 15 years ago. But uh, he hung in there and hella had a hell of a run. But uh, all right, Shattuck, you pick this week. You're picking the Ravens, huh? Mm-hmm. Picking the Ravens. Two, two touchdowns. By two touchdowns, the Ravens and the over. And uh, I'm going to guess you think Lamar Jackson is going to run wild over the Patriots. Absolutely, Jerry. This is a lock, by the way. And I am one for one. I'm 100% uh, so far this year. You are. And you were a man on an island, man. Nobody else had the Jets. And uh, they almost won it outright. But they sure they beat the spread easily. Congratulations, Shattuck. And thanks. That is Tom Shattuck from the Burn Barrel Podcast and the Lowell Sun. I appreciate it, Shattuck. And thanks to Shake Concrete and Allied Paving. And thanks to DCU. Uh, Colin, anything else? This is your last shot because I think they tee off around 730. Uh, Ooh, I, need your, uh, I need your winner of the Masters right now. I'm not even going to look at the odds. I'm not going to consult anything. I am. I I, I don't want to pick Bryson DeChambeau because he's the favorite, correct? Or is Dustin Johnson the favorite? He, uh, I believe DeChambeau is the favorite, and I am saying that DeChambeau does not make the cut. That's how wild of a take. Ooh, I need see, he is, I, he is so messed up in the head. I'm saying the pressure is going to get to him. Yes, and he's DeChambeau is a tough one because he is annoying. He's so slow, yep. but he's entertaining. You can't take your eyes off him. He plays, they call it 
uh, bomb and gouge golf. Bomb it, try to drive every green, end up in the deep rough, and you gouge it out. It worked at the U.S. Open where they said it wouldn't because the rough was so long. He's going to be one to watch, but I'm going to make my pick. Ready? Xander Shoffley. How's that? Okay. That's a good pick. That's a good pick. Well, you said you said bomb it, right? Bomb it's the way we're playing golf. And Dustin Johnson is going to bomb it all the way to the green jacket. He is going. He's going to be like second favorite, right? I mean, after DeChambeau, uh, what are the odds? He's in the top five, but he's he's coming off COVID. This is the year of COVID. So Sergio goes oh, out with him. Now Dustin Johnson comes back, recovered, and he wins the green jacket. That's that's my take. I, I am so psyched to have uh, Masters in November. I don't care if it's good weather or not. I'm gladly stay inside and watch the Masters. It's the greatest TV sporting event, and it's weird because it's November. It's going to be darker early, and it's just going to feel a little different. It's going to look a little different. Um, oh, uh, I got John Rahm as the favorite. Oh gosh, I don't that's boring. It's in his stupid little thing that he hit last night. I don't. Uh, are what? you kidding me? That was the most incredible golf shot I've ever seen in my life. It was yeah, unbelievable. Incredible. Yeah, it was cute. That, yeah, I like go like one cute. by skipping it off the water. Yeah, I, it was. I know it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really count. But that was an incredible golf shot, Cullinane. It's just lucky. It's just stupid. I don't know. I hate that shit. I hate dumb little trick shots like that. Sorry, these are from William Hill, the odds maker, the British odds maker. You're right, Deschambeau number one, Dustin Johnson number two. Deschambeau's eight to one. Dustin's nine to one. Rom eleven to one. Justin Thomas, 12 to 1. I like him too, but Shoffley's 14 to 1. So I'm going to go with uh, Shoffley. You don't want to pick the favorite. I'm going to give you someone to go with, uh, Shattuck, just because I know you're yeah. a big golf guy. I like Pat- Phyllis Shoffley. Patrick Cantley. All right. You go with Patrick Cantley, okay? By a touchdown, yes. All right. All right. By a there touchdown. All right. Hey, hey, before we go, I know you want to wrap up, though, but uh, Veterans Day today. So thank you to everybody who served. We got to make sure I uh, got to get that out there because we didn't say that. Yes. Happy Veterans Day to all, uh, all, all the veterans. We're allowed to say Happy Veterans Day. It's not a somber day. It's a it's a day to honor our vets. I am heading up to Chelmsford to honor all the veterans from my hometown, including dad, including Gerald Callahan, senior, the original who was a proud, who was a proud veteran, uh, served in the army signal Corps, And, uh, they do a nice job, of course, nice. on, uh, in, in the challenge for honoring their veterans, but all veterans have a great day. We, we, we can't thank you enough. We owe you everything. God bless you. I'm Jerry Callahan. This is the Callahan podcast. And we will talk to you tomorrow. Why am I stopping? No one else stops. I don't. Can I go home? The Jerry Callahan Podcast.